Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness and love to us that you have promised to abide with us and that where two or three are gathered, there you are with us. And so, Lord, we're going to explore your will and ask for your voice to be made known that we might hear your direction on our media use this week. And so, Lord, please give us wisdom and guidance. Please give us uh, your, your, your direction, your directives from on high. We want to set aside our opinions and our preferences and just say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This afternoon's session is entitled, How to Be Human Again. Now, the year was 1844. You know that as Bible prophecy students, as a very significant year pointed to in Daniel 8, verse 14. What a lot of people don't know about the history, and I was surprised to learn myself, that a big event happened in 1844 in addition to prophetic sanctuary heavenly events. And that event was pictured right here. Do you know who that man is? This is Samuel Morse tapping away the first telegraph ever sent. The year was 1844. You could say this is the first text message in history. The, the, now all of a sudden, human beings can communicate across distances simultaneously. This was a foreshadowing of what we have today with modern media. Now you see it's 1844. There's a spiritual significance to that, isn't there? And there's a spiritual controversy with the media use issue. It goes without saying that media can be used powerfully. We're sitting in here in the midst, uh, in the midst of very um, well-funded uh, uh, communications equipment that 3ABN has brought in to put on children's programs, and, and our, our ministry actually has put out DVDs, and we're on satellite media. You've heard of Strong Tower Radio, Adventist World Radio, all these different ways to get the truth out, right? And even social media. We're going to talk about some of these things this week, some of the dangers, some of the mental health issues associated with them, but a friend of mine had an injury, a major uh, emergency that required a fundraiser, and $50,000 was raised in nine hours. Another friend, a family friend of ours, a little boy, seven years old, had a, had a flu and pneumonia like multi-dimensional illness that just was stricken his body and he was in the hospital and nearly died and prayer requests went out on social media and everybody rallied behind this little boy and prayed for him and he was healed miraculously. And so you can see how social media even, all sorts of media can be used to present truth, to spread the truth. So 1844, you might go to that and be like, okay, the devil's going to be up to something in the last days. Modern media is going to be a stumbling block in many people's lives. And I can say amen to that, as I know you can as well. If you've seen the Media on the Brain seminar, that was predominantly an expose of worldly media. But here we are with these technological tools, perhaps ceasing to be tools in our lives, using the internet, using social media, using smartphones, using digital media in a way that maybe is becoming destructive to our spiritual life to our experience of God's nature and the family life. We're going to explore all these themes this week, but i got to start out with this. It was the year 2012. This is a ways after 1844, but maybe some of you, because this is Michigan camp meeting, maybe some of you were here when I started this media on the brain journey. I was a teacher and I was seeing in my own students' lives worldly media crowding in and violent video games and Hollywood entertainment and the worldly music industry. And I said, Lord, what's going on with our own youth here? So I started sharing information with them about media and that led to a camp meeting seminar that launched this ministry, Belt of Truth 
Youth Ministries has been in existence for that period of time. Can you believe it's been seven years? It's kind of fun. Seven years is a biblically significant number. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry, I'll catch you up on some media on the brain stuff on Friday. I hope you're planning to come to each one of these meetings, Sunday through Friday, 3.30 at this, the same place. But um, all that to say, you fast forward to 2016. And I'm looking at the data that's coming in. What's the latest in terms of the numbers of hours people are consuming of media? I couldn't believe what I saw. I thought that in 2012, the numbers were so catastrophically high that they couldn't get any worse. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. The percentage of our country that consumed five hours or more of screen time per day doubled in just four years in that time period. So all the way in 2016, three years ago now, I said, It's time to update this information and to keep preaching this media message so that we can replace these things as stumbling blocks and allow them to become tools again in God's hands to present the truth instead of the devil using these as his agencies of destruction. Now, fast forward to 2018. I couldn't believe this one from Nielsen Media. You know how many minutes of media per day the average American consumed last year per day? The average American consumed an average of 666 minutes of media per day. Wow. Now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't suggest this is any direct fulfillment of prophecy, but that's a pretty ominous number and a very large number to that. Physi- physiological effects start to come in when you're consuming this amount of media. It becomes a problem, beginning with just our posture. Because when you're on your phone, you're in this position, and what you tend to do is, is get forward head like that. And what the chiropractors and the, the, the child development people and the physical therapists tell us is that in that position, at a 45-degree angle, you're putting 49 pounds of pressure on the upper spine there. And this becomes problematic for our health, for our breathing, for many reasons that I'll get to in much more, in, in much more detail. By the way, when you saw this on the screen, this is coming out in the next couple of months. So you guys are hearing the media mind, bits of it, before the full series is out. So if you're wondering, can I get the rest of this information? Yes, just stay tuned on that. We'll talk about DVDs, actually, after the closing prayer. But back to this, at the eye hunch, they call it, it's becoming the new posture. Like, people have this permanent now forward head posture because we're training ourselves that way with so much sitting, so much computer time, so much phone time. And I guess the the people who believe in evolution, who who have the chart where you're coming down from the monkey, they're going to have to update the chart and the next guy over is coming back down. We, of course, we know that God made man upright and not like this chart suggests, but the people who subscribe to that will have to update it. Take a deep breath. Sit up straight for a second. Did you know that a study reveals that a large part of the population is not able to breathe properly? Because we're, 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 we have high stress and we don't have proper posture. It's talking about even people not breathing properly, taking full respiration of the lungs. In child guidance, it says, with the children, among the first things to be aimed at should be a correct position, both in sitting and in standing. God made man upright, and he desires him to possess not only the physical, but the mental and moral benefit, the grace and dignity and self-possession, the courage and self-reliance, which an erect bearing so greatly tends to promote. It says, let the teacher give instruction. I got to kind of watch myself on this. Give instruction by example and precept. Show what a correct position is and insist that it shall be maintained. 
So I'm not going to be spying you guys down and pointing people out here on how we are posturing ourselves. But I've seen it actually in myself because I get excited about something I'm teaching and I come forward like this and I see a video. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? You got to stand up straight there. Have that proper posture and, and respiration because actually when you're slumped down, they've done studies on this and people who stand like that, they have more depressed feelings and more fearful feelings. This promotes more courage. Didn't we just read in, a, in the quote that, that it'll produce more courage? And same thing here, when you, when you read in the Bible that it is no longer I who live, that self is lost and that in Christ who liveth in me, and you start to come alive and you have that energy and you have that vitality and you have that courage and, and not no longer self-reliance, but reliance on Christ through faith. They've also shown that standing and sitting in this position produces more negative words that we speak, where this, we have more positive outlook, more positive words. How about in school, school children? Which one do you think they perform better academically when they're sitting up straight, just like the quote said from child guidance? So we have physiological effects about posture, but not just that. Arthritis, this is something that afflicts people as they age, right? Not anymore. Arthritis time bomb warning for the under 40s. Doctors say constant texting and gaming could wear out your joints. And the hearing, evidence of hearing damage in teens prompts researchers' warning. It goes on to explain that there are 28%, over a quarter of teens today have persistent tinnitus in the ears. This is a ring in the, in the ears from so much loud music. So we're starting to damage our bodies all over the place. Teen and young adult cell phone-related injuries are up 84%. You might be like, what's a cell phone-related injury? I've never heard of that. Well, they exist, and they keep track of how many there are. They're, they're up 84%. And one of those could be, uh, like, you're, 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 there was a guy who was on his phone in San Diego, California, walked off a cliff and died on Christmas Day. Did you see that in the news? That was a very sad and tragic thing. In fact, the selfie kills more people now than sharks because you're on the edge of the precipice, uh, you know, in Peru or wherever you are, and, 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 and people are, are falling off to their death. And of course, it's not very large. This isn't a huge percentage, like 28% of teens with tinnitus. That's a bigger deal in terms of the, the broader population. But smartphones are killing Americans, but nobody's counting. This one is talking about traffic fatalities. 67% jump in the percentage of people who are texting and driving and taking their lives into their hands, and also pedestrian deaths. This one really surprised me. Uh, you'd think you'd know where the curb is and where the oncoming traffic is, but people are so immersed in their phone, they have no idea. You're about to walk into oncoming traffic and there's been an increase in pedestrian deaths to the point where they said, okay, we need to move the traffic signals from being up at eye level and put them down at curb level because nobody's going to know. Otherwise, this is a new world we're living in, right? If I would have told you that seven years ago in the near future, you will live in a world where the traffic signals are moved from being up at eye level to down here because we now live here. It's a different place, a different orientation. We now live in a world where they put pads on the light posts on the sidewalks in Austria. We now live in a world where the federal government put out a grant out of the National Institutes of Health to, to train people's um, GPS on their phones so that it would signal exactly when they're going to going to walk into the street and it gives you an alert. It gives you a notification. Hey, don't walk into the street. You're going to die. You know, I don't know what it would say on your phone, something like that. But we're totally immersed in a virtual place now. And even in a place like you go get your hair cut, right? 
you maybe have some common conversation, a little small talk, witnessing. Yes, they're going to be a witness. You get to know the person a little bit. It's a 20-minute it's a experience where you, where you talk, right? You have a conversation, yes? Not anymore. This now exists. It's the cape for the haircut place, the barber, the stylist, who will then allow you to see through the transparent medium, and you can just sit there on your phone the entire time you're getting your hair cut. I mean, we are so checked out that he's not really going to fall in there, is he? Yep, there he goes. <laughs> that really happened. There are dozens of these kind of things online. I'll just show you one for the sake of illustration. And one last time. I hope he's okay. That's where we've come to now. The media mind, the media mind is checked out. But the mind of Christ is engaged. You know, the Bible invites us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? So when we get so involved with so much nonstop media, we start to develop a different mind. And we're going to get into that in great depth throughout the week. But it's the media mind that is developing in this 21st century culture in which we live. Let's contrast that with God's plan for us to use media in a balanced way, but to start to ask, is it time to learn to be human again? Like, like uh, we're starting to lose a grip on what it means to be human. In the aforementioned examples and in much more what we will see in family life, oh man, that's huge. I hope you're coming to every meeting. Every one of these is going to be ultra important. I was trying to rank it in my mind, like which one's the most important. And I'm like, well, Monday is my favorite one to present. Tuesday is probably the most dire and important. Thursday is the one that's probably the most, uh, the most eye-opening uh, Thursday is probably the one that is the most enlightening. And then Friday is the summary of the old media on the brain stuff, if you need to catch up on that or never heard that. So that's all to say. There's a big teaser for you to come every, every day. But learning to be human again in family life, in social life, in church life, experiencing nature, experiencing revelation in God's word and in his, in his creation around us. Learning to be human again in our labor, in our study, in our entrepreneurial endeavors, in cooking and physical things and all all of the three-dimensional, non-virtual place in which we inhabit on this earth that God has created for us. Time to rediscover that and ask tough questions about finding the right boundaries in our media use. And yes, using media in its proper balance and place is part of what it means to be uh, last day's people living in this time post-1844 after the invention of the first modern telecommunications device. If you missed that, if you came in late, the telegraph was invented in 1844. The birth of modern media was 1844. So you're going to have a bifurcation. You're going to have a conflict. Christ and Satan. God using media to spread the truth. Satan using it to disrupt our human experience and redemption and, and bring in a lot of worldliness as well. We now touch our devices 2,617 times per day. That's an awful lot of touching, tapping, and swiping. Every individual, every unique touch. 2,617 times a day. And did anybody do any math and multiply that by 365? Are you curious how many that is per year? It's nearly a million times per year that we are touching, tapping, and swiping our devices. That's more than all the combined total of how many times we touch our children and our pets and wooden nails and soil and plants and real things. It's a different place now, isn't it? Teens now consume nine hours of entertainment media per day. These numbers, could they get any higher than that? I just remembered I have these yellow notebooks, and I forgot to hand those out at the beginning. If you want to get on our ministry's newsletter, put an email address right on that and pass it up and down the rows, and we will send the occasional update about what we are up to. 
Thank you for whoever just pulled a notebook out a second ago and got my attention and made me think of my notebook. Nine hours of entertainment media per day. But you might say we're getting to the point where, Scott, you know, we've always heard you start your media seminars out with the number of hours of media we're consuming and all that. Is it becoming like an almost constant thing where keeping track of the number of hours is kind of an irrelevant thing? The new way to look at it is the way these teens do. Look, in 2014 to 15, a quarter of teens admitted that they were on their phones almost constantly. That nearly doubled to almost half of teens today in 2018, last year. Almost half of them admit that they are almost constantly on their devices. Then the CNN article really blew my mind when it said this. By the numbers, kids are not spending more time with screens than they were in the 80s. Is anybody else questioning that statement right now and going, huh, what did he just say? By the numbers, kids today are not spending more time with screens than they were in the 80s. I was blessed to have a study handed to me by Spitzberg and Twenge and Martin at San Diego State University, a fantastic paper and publication they put out. And I got to comb through all the data going back to the 70s, how much screen time teens have been doing decade over decade through the past half century. And what it showed was back in the 80s, it was about 3.5 hours per day of screen time. Now, how many are teens doing today? Nine hours. So do you believe this statement right here that said, by the numbers, kids are not doing more screen time than they were in the 80s? That's absolutely false. It's nearly tripled since the 80s. It's nearly doubled just since 2007. In 2007, it was five hours today, per day. Today, it's nine hours per day. So we're looking at catastrophically high numbers. And if we just read news articles like that or watch the cable news and we think we're being informed with factual information and we're just plugged into mainstream sources of entertainment, the media mind is, that says, deceivable. The mind of Christ is critically thinking. And so we want to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Can I get an amen to that? I include myself in that, by the way. As a teacher, my, my goal, my agenda, my hope, my, my aim and mission is always to prompt people to think, to, to, to really probe the word of God for themselves. Because when it comes down to this stuff of nine hours of media per day for the teens, we all need to take heart, not just the teens. Us adults, parents of the, of the children, are doing nearly eight hours of media per day. They're spending more than twice as much time on Netflix than all the quality time they spend with their children combined. Let me say that again. Parents are spending two times more time just watching Netflix alone than all the quality time they have with their children combined. Is that sad or what? We're going to talk about the family in the next session tomorrow. But a survey from Common Sense Media found that 47% of parents worry their child is addicted to their mobile device. Yeah, I would think it would be even higher than that. But by comparison, only 32% of parents say that they are addicted. So way more are concerned about their teens than themselves. But nine hours, eight hours, it's not that different, is it? So we're all struggling with this. Let's take the plank and the beam out of our own eye, right? And, and, and not just whipping boy the, the, the teens because by the measure we use for others, it'll be measured to us. And so here's the thing. God has a standard and a plan for every person's media use. And we all have to take that to him individually in prayer. And when it comes to our, our use of worldly media, we know what the numbers are supposed to be on that. How many hours of worldly media from Hollywood sources and immoral worldly things? How many hours per day should God's people be consuming of that? 
Zero, right? That's, that's where we start. And that's what we covered seven years ago with Media on the Brain, and we'll do that again on Friday. But we're dealing with some other tougher issues, like the average adult spends more time looking at screens than sleeping. The average American spends 65% of their waking hours consuming media. Is this out of balance or what? The average American now spends 4.7 hours on their smartphone per day and checks their phones 80 to 150 times per day and still somehow manages to watch four hours of television per day. This is, this is where we live now, isn't it? Now, there's a temptation at this moment for each one of us to go, I'm glad I'm not one of those statistics. I'm way below those numbers, and so I feel safe. You know, the Bible says this. It says they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So is it wise for us to say, okay, the average parent is doing eight hours, I'm doing six, so I'm okay. Well, not necessarily. God probably has a higher standard for you than that. And I'm not going to be the one to come down and say this is what everybody should do. The Bible will say when it comes to worldliness, come apart and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. But as far as using technological tools, smartphones, internet, social media, etc., we're going to be dealing with some tougher issues that we got to really pray deeply about in terms of setting rules for ourselves and for our children. What kinds of media? At what ages? On what types of devices? At what locations? For what purposes? At what times of the day? At what frequency of use? Meaning how often? And for what duration of use? Meaning for how long? So Think through and pray through these questions as we go day by day through this seminar called The Media Mind, because we want to develop the mind of Christ and not enter into this cultural insanity that we've seen in How to Be Human Again. We'll bring this screen up a few times over and over again through the week, so we'll, we'll deal with those. Just that first one in Media on the Brain, already talked about that. Hollywood movies, violent video games, zero, right? But what about these other things? Let's, let's think about this in terms of, well, is it really that bad? You know, that would be something that we would want to, you know, maybe justify if we're saying, well, come on, it's not that. Is it really that bad? I don't know. I'm okay. I'm good. You know, I hear the, the, the message about this and these effects, and, well, it doesn't affect me that way. Here's what I always have to say when somebody is considering, and I've had those thoughts myself, actually, say this to yourself. It's kind of like a man who comes into the optometrist's office, and he says, hello, doctor so-and-so, I'm here to get my eyes checked, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm seeing just fine. I don't have any problems with my eyesight. Okay, go ahead and sit down in that chair. We're going to have you read that top line. And in comes the instruments in front of his eyes. And he goes, okay, read that top line. Yeah, that's uh, M-R-V-W-C-L. Got it. Okay, read that next line, please. Wait, that, that second one down? I'm supposed to be able to read that? Uh, is that a C or a G or an O or a Q? Is that an F or a hashtag? Doc, I can't read that line. And he's like, um, okay. Which one is clearer, one or two? Um, two, two, or three? Two, two, or four? Two, okay, and then he breaks it to you. Now, I know you, you feel like you're seeing okay and everything, but you actually aren't. This is one, that's no lens, that's your natural eyesight. This, this is two, it's clearer, isn't it? Yeah, I can see more clearly with two than with one. Two is your new prescription. 
Would you like glasses or contacts or both? What? I thought I was fine. So when we think about things in our lives, our diet, our, our, our habits of various kinds, our media use, it's always good to try something else. Do you know what I mean? Taking a time to try something different and not just fall back on, I'm good the way I am and I'm just going to stay in the comfort zone and the rut that I'm in because we all want to grow evermore into the perfect day, right? So there's just a little challenge to get us all thinking and stretching ourselves a little bit this week. Maybe you'll consider a media fast. Maybe you'll consider certain types of media that need to go. If they're worldly, they definitely need to go. We'll keep preaching that loud and clear. But how about some more physiological effects? Have you ever heard of nearsightedness? Speaking of the optometry example, this is a very literal thing because we're doing so much near work with our devices that it's starting to cause increased myopia. In fact, there is, there, 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 there's a, an effect that happens when you're looking at a screen as your, bl your blink rate tends to drop. My dad is actually an optometrist. He told me about this himself. It's in the literature as well. But he says, Scott, when you're on your computer, you're making PowerPoints, you're doing a lot of research online, be sure to blink intentionally or you kind of just get into that stare mode and the eyes dry and then you're doing the near work and so much bright blue light and that's going to affect things. Screen sightedness, nearsightedness is up dramatically. I think it's 34% since the advent of the smartphone and 70% since the advent of the television. So we're, we're doing more and more of this near, near work. Now I'm going to tell you another malady that affects two-thirds of adults, and it's all of these things combined. It increases heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, appetite suppression, poor weight control, weakened immune functioning, lowered resistance to disease, higher pain sensitivity, slowed reaction times, and there's more. Increased injuries, mood fluctuations, and irritability. You're like, whatever this is, I don't want this. Me neither. Depressed brain functioning. There's something that has all these things in common. Reduced work and academic performance, depression, obesity, diabetes, and certain cancers. What is this one thing? I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the blue light factor of what I was just talking about, increasing myopia. When you view media at night and you're doing screen time at night, it's different than the light of the fire and the light of the setting sun, which signals to the brain, blue light is diminishing and dimming, produce melatonin. It's about to go to time to, be, to go to bed. God wants it to have sweet sleep. Have you read that in the Bible? It says he giveth his beloved sleep. Oh, that sounds so nice. I hope it doesn't sound too nice right now. Like don't get interested in sleeping right now. But I like to have a good night of sleep. I don't want anything to disrupt that, especially when it's going to cause this list of things. That's not something I want. Sleep deprivation increases all of this. And sleep deprivation is exacerbated big time by evening media use. Blue light suppresses the melatonin in the brain because it's telling your brain, it's morning time. It's time to wake up. No, no, it's nine o'clock at night. Like we're going to bed shortly. So we got to think about this sleep deprivation issue. Teens should be getting nine hours of sleep per day, per night, and they're getting less than seven hours of sleep per night now. That's over two hours. That's more than 20%. It's like 25% less than what they should be getting. 80% of them, teens, say they rarely or never get enough sleep. And it's not just teens, adults too. Did you know 95% of us are using our devices in the hour before bed? 87% of people go to bed with and wake up with their smartphone. So this is the vast majority of us dealing with this blue light thing. And you see the picture of the little child there. Children who are using devices before bed are two times as likely to be sleepy the next day in school. And even just 15 minutes of media use shortly before bed can cause this effect, especially if it's highly arousing media. I'm going to explain that a little bit later. But it's the quality of the sleep can drop too. Even if we're not, you know, seven hours when we should be getting nine in the teen years, even if the number of hours isn't dropping dramatically, the, number, the quality is dropping. 
dropping. You're not getting as much of that deep restorative sleep, which is good for immune system boosting and, and assimilating learning and like everything. I mean, you saw the list. We want good sleep. So the media mind is tired. The mind of Christ is energized. That's what God wants for us. And again, it's not just kids. We used to, in our families, we used to have this thing called the work day. Do you remember how the work day used to work? It had an end to it, didn't it? You'd come home and, and the work day was done. Child guidance talks about this. As a rule, the labor of the day should not be prolonged into the evening. But now we're going, you know, work is there with us all the time on our devices. Or we got to get online real quick. Or it's something else that I've got to do. Or I'm shopping. You know, we there used, to, used to go shopping and then you'd come home and then you'd have the evenings together. But now we're on Amazon till 11 at night and doing all our shopping. Let parents devote the evenings to their families. Lay off care and perplexity with the labors of the day. Let the evenings be spent as happily as possible. Don't you love these, these kind of commands? God's like, I just want you to be happy. We're going to talk about happiness and media use in a subsequent session this week. Form a home reading circle. So here's something we can do instead. That's a cool concept. Let's read together. In which every member of the family should lay aside the busy cares of the day and unite in study. So you remember this list here about, you know, how do we set boundaries and standards for our media use? Thinking about the times of the day. There, there were a couple examples I read about. Bill Gates' kids were not allowed to be using media past a certain hour of the evening. And I'm going to tell you more about some of these Silicon Valley executive tech owners, founders, gurus, engineers, like the top names in these people and how super strict they are with their families. I'll tell you that. Um, that's, that's tomorrow. You will not want to miss that. But um, I'll tell you one more right now, okay? There was one example of a Silicon Valley engineer whose name I'm forgetting right now, but it has to do with this evening thing, so I got to tell you it right now. He has a timer in the, in the power outlet where his Wi-Fi router is plugged in. And at 7 o'clock in the evening, his family, his whole household, is cut off from Internet. And they don't use their computers, their, their, their Internet, or Wi-Fi after 7 p.m. And so that, that's kind of a cool concept. That, that These people know something that the rest of us don't know. We'll get into that. You're going to see some very eye-opening stuff about big tech this week. But um, to make this thing worse, I said the highly arousing media. When kids are using interactive screen devices... Whether it's iPads, smartphones, video game consoles, when it's interactive, instead of viewing a television program, it enhances the sleep disruptive effect. In fact, it enhances it fourfold. That is a huge increase. For, you, you, for 30 minutes of video gaming, you get the same level of sleep disruption as you get from four hours of television viewing. And television viewing is pretty high stimulating. I'll talk about that a little bit on Friday again as we review some of that media on the brain. But it's elevating the cortisol when they have the stress response and it's fight or flight and you're doing the video game right before you're supposed to be you know, getting ready for bed. You get the obesity epidemic happening because of the cortisol response and the stress hormones that are resulting in all of us, not just kids. And, and then also kids who are watching just 30 minutes of media per day, they are twice as likely to pester their parents for junk food. So it's like it's enhancing our cravings and we're being advertised to. It's just a toxic soup of childhood, uh, physiological and mental and moral um, toxicity. So the American Academy of Pediatrics pointed out that 96.6% now of toddlers and preschoolers are using mobile devices. Two to five-year-olds average, average four hours of screen time per day. And by the age of seven, these little ones have spent an entire year of their lives in front of a TV screen. That's, and there's, there's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of studies that are showing the developmental delays, the psychological problems associated with just two hours of television per day. And then 
handheld devices and, and the video games enhance that even further. So as we think about the at what ages, we're going to talk about the children more tomorrow, but on what types of devices and at what ages, these are really, really questions we got to take ultra seriously. And I'm just going to, I'm going to hit pause on myself right now, or I'll, or I'll go into that right now and I need to save it for tomorrow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, but you want like, you want the boil down of the, okay, let's get the recommended Number of hours per day. What do you what do you what do you think? I'll give you my I'll give you my recommendation. You ready for it? Here, here's, here's my recommendation. It comes from Desire of Ages, page 72. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement, and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. Can we chew on that and assimilate that and think that through? And then we go, what are the implications of that quote for how we do childhood today in this multimedia, high-stimulant, hyper-arousing, entertainment-oriented culture? It says the more in harmony with nature, the more quiet and simple, the more free from artificial excitement, the better it is for their development. But kids are growing up immersed in media from the word go. Let's see if the, uh, if the video has audio Let's attached to it. Just about everything earlier yes. these days. Uh, we're going to show you some YouTube video here of a one-year-old who is happily and expertly playing with the I iPad. Apparently knowing just what to do. Then she tried a real magazine, brick-and-mortar magazine. She, she's trying to pinch and move and swipe the, uh, the real magazine. Doesn't work quite the same way. <laughs> now that's kind of cute and endearing on one hand, but also tragic and heartbreaking. Like what? I'm uh, Raise the alarm bell. We're doing something wrong here. Kids don't know how the three-dimensional world works when we induct them into that <laughs> from babyhood. This exists. This is a real thing. I thought this was a parody. Somebody sent me this and like, imagine the day. No, the day is now. The Fisher Price activity seat, newborn to toddler. Newborns having the iPad and the iPotty. You got to have that because they can't learn anything human. <laughs> Nothing of the human experience can be virtual free, can it? Nothing. We become so immersed from an early age in multimedia distraction and high, the high stimulant effect that we now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Time magazine, eight seconds. The average human attention span in the industrialized world is now only a mere eight seconds. The goldfish clocks in at nine, superior to our attention span. What? Now, does God have the answer to this, all of this madness? Of course he does. How about for the attention span issue? Numerous studies have shown that mere nature exposure, just being outdoors in the woods, going through for a walk, hearing the birds, even just looking at fish in a fish tank, enhances our attention span, which gives new meaning to by beholding we become changed. We can achieve that level of nine seconds by beholding that fish. We will achieve that high level of attention span the fish has, and we can become even, maybe even superior to the fish again in our attention spans. So when I started doing these seminars back in 2012, I was telling people, you know how quickly they're changing the scenes in the, in the TV shows and the movies? Every three seconds, they're putting a new image on the screen. It's so fast-paced. Well, guess what? Just three years later, 2015, somebody came to me from the, the, the movie industry. He's like, Scott, that's not the industry standard anymore. Three seconds, that's outdated. It's every two seconds now. I haven't talked to anybody in the last four years of what it is now, but they're increasing the pacing with every succeeding generation. And the, the commercials are also increasing their pacing as well. This shows that in 2014 down to 2017, the shorter commercials are they're becoming more and more of them. The longer commercials are becoming less and less frequent. So they've got to get our attention right away. Two-thirds of kids are growing up in a home where the television is on the majority of the time. Flash, 
flash, flash, flash. And psychologists observing children in their little native environment there, they, 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 they describe it as if they are pulled away by the screen. They don't make a conscious choice to watch it. So we could talk about freedom of the free will and freedom of choice. We're going to hit on that on, on uh, Wednesday, actually, But when it comes to children. But when you think about this, it says in the CNN, I got to pick on this CNN article again. It's just, it's, it's enjoyable. It says, and more often than not, the television it's speaking of brings a sense of calm and even joy to the household. Flash, 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 you know, all this noise and racket and this cajoling and jarring you. Like, was this written by a Comcast representative? Seriously. Kids aren't doing more screen time than they did in the 80s. And television brings a sense of calm and joy to the household. Come on, people. Let's be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. As streaming booms, songs are getting faster. So the commercials, the shows, the movies, the songs are all getting faster, 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 faster. It used to be in the popular music industry that the... The vocals would come in at the, at the 23 second mark on average. So you'd have instrumental introduction and then the vocals would come in. 23 seconds on average. Today, five seconds. It's like, boom, we got to hit people with the vocals right away to keep their attention. And it used to be that there would be, you know, in a, in a popular song of the world, there would be a little, you know, melodic uh, tune, a, a hook, they call it, a little chord progression, something that would grab your, your ear and it would be like the, the thing that gets in your head. They used to have one of those per song on average to be a respectable thing. Today, they're laced with hooks, like in the chorus, in the verse, in the bridge, in the everything. There's just, it's, it's just a, a song of constant hooks, not one per song anymore. Re- decreasing attention span, whether it's television, whether it's, whether it's the music, whether it's the commercials, and even the social media. We're going to talk about social media a lot more on Tuesday. But uh, this, this issue of social media, they, they took people... 2,000 people in a study. It's a pretty broad study. And they wanted to see what people's attention spans were and how it correlated with their social media use. And they found heavy social media users had significantly lower attention spans than people who use very little or no social media. So all of that about attention span to say the media mind is distractible. But when we balance our media and we get in nature and we start to lengthen our and stretch our attention spans, the mind of Christ becomes attentive. That's what we want. And you might say, well, does attention span really matter you know, that much? Maybe for children in school, but really this isn't that spiritual a thing. Think about it from this standpoint. When the Bible says heed, it says take heed. 80 times in the Bible it says take heed. Do you know what that word means? means pay attention. Sit up and listen. I'm going to give you an instruction. I want you to obey because in the the biblical Hebraic mindset and the philosophy of the Bible times, to hear and to listen, in their language, that carried with it an implied obedience as well. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen humbly. I'm going to listen obediently. And in addition to that, I just want a great attention span for listening to long messages like I preach or other people will preach. But I want to be able to have an attention span for the Bible. I want to be able to have an attention span for spiritual things. I don't want to be continually always needing to be distracted and, and, um, and, and stimulated by something. This is the prefrontal cortex. It's referred to as executive function. It's where our prefrontal cortex pays attention. Did you know that this very same area of the brain for paying attention to something is also helping us regulate our emotions and impulses, exercise wise judgment and planning, and having the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. Can you say this is a spiritual thing? So when we are struggling with attention spans, we're also going to be struggling in these areas as well, because it's the same circuitry in the brain. Now, this is kind of a mean study they did just to show the correlation of the attention with the emotional regulation. They took these 
these babies, even just little ones, and they scared them. They put a clown mask on or whatever it was that they did. It made the baby start crying and screaming. And then they tracked how long it would take them to get over that emotional um, trauma. And they discovered that babies who have longer attention spans were able to recover and have better emotional regulation than the babies who, had, who, who took um, shorter amounts of, 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 of time. So the more attention span we have, the, the quicker we are at uh, regulating our emotions. So it just showed what, what the neuroscientists are talking about very clearly here on a spiritual level for us. Another thing about attention span that really matters is our ability to think and to do and to be small c creators. We've been given a power akin to that of the creator, the power to think and to do. And that takes some attention span. I remember learning that, that, that it takes an average of 15 to 20 minutes of really thinking through something, pondering something, rolling it over, going through it, and ah, then the light bulb goes off. Whether it's uh, some ministry idea or a creative outlet or, or problem-solving thing or entrepreneurial endeavor, you name it, 15 to 20 minutes is usually what it takes us to have the light bulb moment happen. Now, you know how many seconds 15 to 20 minutes is? It's a thousand seconds. What's our attention span again? Eight seconds. So we're going to struggle to be able to achieve any, any, anything that, that we human beings have been created to do by God. The average person, 77% of young adults, admit that when nothing else is occupying my mind, I just pull out my phone and hit the home button. I just, I'm just on there. I see what's on there. I'm just going to see. You know, I don't know if anything is particular I need to do, but I'm just pulling out my phone. To, well, let's just see what's on social media or whatever. 77% of people don't have the down moment. We won't be able to hear the voice of God. We won't be able to have the creative thought. We need the stimulant effect. And we'll talk about addiction in digital pharmacia on Wednesday. Hugely important session. You won't want to miss. The media mind is dull, less creative. The mind of Christ becomes more creative. Now, when speaking about the issue of attention deficits, I remembered back in the late 80s, I had a sibling on the cutting edge of this ADD thing where they started prescribing the Ritalin at that time. And I remember I'd never heard of such a thing, but what I was told by, by the, 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 you know, the teachers and the parents, and they came in, your brother's got this disorder, and it's called attention deficit disorder. And, and they said what he has is a chemical imbalance in his brain that's inherent in him. And Ritalin has the compounds that will correct that chemical imbalance. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I was just a kid, so I didn't really think through that more deeply. But as I've gotten older, I saw the stats that there's been a 50% increase in ADHD in the last 10 years. Now, you can't explain that by inherent genetic things because people aren't reproducing fast enough and it's not like only ADHD people are reproducing it. How do you get a 50% increase in just 10 years? Well, the researchers and the clinical practitioners are talking more about environmentally induced attention deficits. It's not just an inherent thing in your chemical, in your um, brain chemistry. For many of these children who are diagnosed with these problems, there, there are actually environmental causes at play, not exclusively chemical causes. And so when they studied this, they looked at video games. In Singapore, they did a study of 3,000 children. And they said, okay, let's see if we can identify not just correlation 
between video gaming and attention problems. But let's see if there's a causation factor. Do you know what I mean by that? It could be just that low attention span people are drawn to video games. And so people who play more video games have lower attention spans, but the video games aren't causing it. This study proved that wrong. This and other studies as well. That they found in this study it was bi-directional. In other words, it went both directions, two directions, bi-directional. Low attention span, people are drawn to gaming more, but video gaming exacerbates and causes attention problems. And so that's one of the environmental factors that's been shown in research. And they also showed in this study that violence in the video games was only a minor factor. It's video gaming period that was reducing attention span and causing increased ADHD symptoms. Even just being a smartphone user is starting to increase ADHD symptoms. They had adults who are non-ADD people use a smartphone for two weeks with all the alerts and notifications and the run-of-the-mill stuff we use this for, and they found increase in hyperactivity and increase in, in inattention. In other words, decrease in attention. That's a very confusing statement, sorry. Increase in inattention, decrease in attention. <laughs> Forget about it if you didn't get it. Horrible words in the English language to try to communicate with. But anyway, if it's environmentally induced, then here's some good news. You know what I'm about to say next? Then it can be environmentally reversed, right? Isn't that good news? God has the answer to all of these media-induced problems. Oh, by the way, you wondered, what is the environment that's causing this? We saw the video game study. What, what the brain simply works like this. It adapts to the environment that we surround it with. What we fill our minds with, the kind of life we live, the kind of the way we live life, our brain's going to respond to that, adapt, and recircuit and rewire the circuitry accordingly. So when we immerse ourselves as children or adults in a hyper-stimulating environment, then our brains expect that level of input and that level of stimulation, and when it does come, then we're just like, uh, uh, you know, we start twiddling our thumbs and boredom increases. We'll talk about boredom as well in a subsequent session and hyperactivity problems and inattention problems. There, it came out clear that time. Praise God. Okay. This is Dr. Victoria Dunkley. She wrote the big book, Reset Your Child's Brain. Highly recommended. I've read lots and lots and lots and lots of books about media use and child development, all of this. This is the best one. This is the best one by far that I've ever seen. It's not written from a religious standpoint, but from a clinical standpoint, and it is solid, solid on the money stuff. Every parent who has kids in the home should read that book and, and, and do it, uh, even if you don't have all these problems, because she's diagnosed children with all these disorders, ADHD, DMDD, this is disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, depression, anxiety, bipolar, lots of problems. She's a, she's a practicing psychiatrist, and the kids come into her, come into her office, and they say, or the, the, the parents bring the kids in they say okay we're struggling with all these things they've been diagnosed with this and with this and with this what do we do uh we we, we don't necessarily want the, the pharmaceutical solution is there alternative ways we can do this well she's become known for resetting your child's brain through a media fast so her prescription is a 100 percent media abstinence for three weeks for some children it takes four weeks and the results of this are Absolutely astounding. This is what got my attention. When I saw the proofs in the pudding here and reached out to her, actually been in communication to help, help promote what she's doing with this, here's what she found. Results. 80% of her patients have had the majority of their symptoms disappear. That's awesome. 50% of her patients have had all their symptoms disappear. Screen time is a contributing factor to virtually all the children she has treated. She put it this way. She says, I began prescribing video game restriction with startling results. 
She says, I observed how the vast majority of children exhibited certain symptoms surrounding gameplay. Symptoms strikingly similar to, are you ready for it? Amphetamine exposure. She says, but they resolved in the days or weeks of complete abstention. So you completely abstain from stimulating media. It actually was a 100% screen time fast, like no screen time for these kids for three weeks. These problems resolved, and their development would grow by leaps and bounds when the screens were most restricted because the prefrontal cortex now can become engaged and develop, and those circuits can widen and those pathways can form. So when we say the media mind is not well, we can follow it up with an enthusiastic and hopeful shouting from the rooftops that the mind of Christ is healing. When we learn how to be human again, when we learn how to live life God's way and not doing everything in the virtual, when we take our kids out in nature, this was a study in Sweden that absolutely just filled my heart with joy because I love seeing kids come alive in nature. And they put kids in a nature environment and a playground and had them play, and they observed their play to see what kind of play they engage in. They also put a group of children in an urban playground environment and observed their play there. Now, the good news is that no matter whether they're playing in the urban or the nature environment, when they're playing outdoors, their attention spans begin to lengthen versus when they're doing so much, um, so much media. But the, the really exciting news for those of us who believe in the God of creation who has revealed himself in the creation. We, we want to see his ways proven, and they have been. The nature environment was leaps and bounds ahead of the urban environment in how these children played. They, they played with stretched attention spans and more creativity and more um, ingenuity and just, just be, being more like children that you have probably heard of before. And so attention spans have increased uh, when, when we get the kids in nature. And there are hundreds, I'm telling you, hundreds hundreds of studies of children's exposure to nature and how that can improve their, their, not just their attention span, but so many other things that I will tell you more about tomorrow. But I want to share this clip with you. Enjoy this. When you were a kid, what did you do for fun? So we'd go blueberry picking, for instance. Uh, just, that's so cute. <laughs> We grew watermelons, um, plantains. I found an old sign which was big enough for me to sit on and made a great toboggan. It was very slick, very fast. <laughs> I had a few fish in my basket and I looked up on this bluff and here's this black bear sitting there watching me. If he starts chasing me, I'm going to keep throwing the fish out of my basket until he's gorged and he won't, and he won't bother me. And what did you like to do for fun? You know, you go door to door, get a group of kids, and you play uh, lots of games, uh, hide and seek, just going out to the field and playing baseball. And we build these massive forts, you know, the kind that you can actually sit in and, and, and play in, you know, with, with our friends, and it was just really wonderful. So what do you like to do for fun? Video games. Definitely. I like to go on my phone, text. Some email. My favorite thing to do in the world is definitely watching videos and playing video games. Those take up so much of my time. Three hours or t three to four hours a day. Same. Five hours straight. Just last week, I watched 23 episodes of a TV series in less than four days. I forget. I'm in a house. I have parents. I have a sister. I have a dog. I... Just think I'm in the video game, I completely get lost. I 
would die if I didn't have my tablet. Whenever I feel upset, I'd play video games and I'd feel normal. It's really wonderful. When your daughters grow up, your great-great-grandkids, what do you think will happen if this trend continues? It's scary to think that they'll never have to leave the house. Cindy grew up uh, doing a lot of the things that I did and, and enjoyed, and I see what uh, my grandsons are doing today, and it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. By the time they have kids, it's going to be a really different environment. I actually feel a little sad because I feel like he's missing out on what's out there mm -hmm. in the beautiful world. connection with nature I think it's innate in all children but needs to be nurtured well that one that clip every time I see it it's uh it's nostalgic and, and it is joyful and you remember those those simpler times and then you see this this breakdown in in this generation that's coming up and you know I know I know you believe as believers in the Bible, as I do, that in the last days, God will pour his spirit out upon your young daughters and your young your men will dream dreams and have visions and the children are called forth to finish the work. And here we are in the digital doldrums of the 21st century. And it's like, I have a sister and I have a dog and I'm totally lost in this place. And, and that the tragic thing is, they speak about it as if it's normal and okay. And like, this is just how life is. And we're all aghast going, whoa. What have we done? And so this is, this is the perfect segue into tomorrow's talk called the disconnected childhood or the disappearance of childhood. And when you think about the disconnected childhood, that could have two meanings. It could mean that they are disconnected from nature, from parents, from God. Or we can spin it in the hopeful way. If we can have a childhood that's disconnected from so much media, then they can become reconnected to nature, to labor, to play, to parents, to books, to their savior. That's our hope for the children. But we won't spend the whole week on the children because this affects all of us as well. And on Tuesday's session, it's called Anti-Social Media. We're gonna look at the founders of social media and what they have come out and said about the dangers of this and where we need to put the brakes on it and some major boundaries. And, 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 and they say some things like, uh, we are ripping apart the social fabric of the country. Uh, we deliberately were exploiting vulnerabilities in human psychology. Some of them went on an apology tour and like, we're sorry for what we've done. Now, these can be used as tools. Come to that session, you'll see the balance, but we want to be really thinking through how the internet, how social media, especially with childhood, is impacting our youth, our young adults, and all of us. <clears throat> I have to say our young adults as if they are a group that I'm not a part of now because I'm not welcome as the GYC age. They tell me you have to pay more when you come to GYC now, so I have to say those young adults, those, those young people down there, 35 and under, um, Wednesday will be... Um, the Digital Pharmacia, you're going to hear Nicholas Cardaris, author of the book Glow Kids, tell you that it is easier to treat a heroin addict than a true screen addict. You're going to hear how addictive these technologies were deliberately designed to be. I'll, I'll quote more of the big tech people on Wednesday and how they will admit and brag about the methods and tools that they've been using to addict and captivate people. And some of them, many of them, coming out and going public with what they've done and, and, and trying to huh, right their wrongs and reconcile for what they've done. 
Thursday, people of the book in the age of the app. That one may be the most enlightening. I want to think through what literacy is going to look like in this digital age and how we as people of the book are to take the truth to the four winds of heaven using the publishing and the literature work and being under, be able to understand the word of God and comprehend and not be deceived. So much to cover. And as I said, Friday, we'll do some review of media on the brain. But I want to take just a minute after the prayer to tell you about the, the DVDs and this new series and how we can get that. So we're going to close right now with prayer, and then I'll, I'll mention the materials to you after prayer. So let's have a moment of prayer together. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we saw with the image of the child running through the woods. And, and we just know you've created nature for us to, to walk in the cool of the day with our, with our Creator, with our Savior, Jesus. We thank you for how happy childhood can be when they, when they walk with Jesus and know their, 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 their Savior, their parents, the joy of life. And may we all rediscover that joy, rediscover what it means to be human again, made in your image. Lord, we know you created us in your image and that we sometimes distort and mess that up and Satan's desire has been to, to, to mar the image of God in man. Well, we know Jesus has the answer and we claim the promises of the Bible. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that the redemption that he wrought out at the cross is to restore the image of God in man. And we ask for that now, for the wisdom that we need to have a healthier life with our sleep, with our, with our posture, with our eyesight, with all those little things and with the big things like our relationships with each other, with your creation, most of all with Jesus. So please send us your Holy Spirit this week. Please bring revival and reformation in every aspect of our life, including our technological use. And Father, we just thank you for this time you've given to us to hear your voice. May we not hear our own thoughts this week at all of the meetings and at this seminar. May we hear your voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.